Bhagavatam Canto 4 Chapter 21 Text 38 The Supreme Personality of Godhead The Ancient Eternal Godhead who is foremost among all great personalities obtained the opulence of his staunch (coughs) reputation which which purifies the entire universe by worshipping the lotus feet of those brahmanas and vaishnavas purport. <coughs> the supreme person is described herein as brahmanya deva. Brahmanya refers to the brahmanas, the vaishnavas or the brahminical culture and deva means worshipable lord. Therefore, unless one is on the transcendental platform of being a Vaishnava or on the highest platform of material goodness as a Brahmana, he cannot appreciate the Supreme Personality of Godhead. In the lower stages of ignorance and passion, it is difficult to appreciate or understand the Supreme Lord. Therefore, the Lord is described herein as the worshipable deity for persons in Brahminical and Vaishnava culture. Namo Brahmanya Devaya Go Brahmana Hitayacha Jagadhitaya Krishnaya Govindaya Namo Namaha Lord Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, is the prime protector of Brahminical culture and the cow. Without knowing and respecting these, one cannot realize the science of God. And without this knowledge, any welfare activities or humanitarian propaganda cannot be successful. The Lord is Purusha, or the Supreme Enjoyer. Not only is is He the Enjoyer when He appears as a manifested incarnation, but He is the Enjoyer since time immemorial from the very beginning, Puratanaha, and eternally, Nityam, Yajcharanabhivandanat. Prithu Maharaj said that the Supreme Personality of Godhead attained this opulence of eternal fame simply by worshipping the lotus feet of the Brahmanas. In the Bhagavad Gita it is said that the Lord does not need to work to achieve material gain. Since He is perpetually supremely perfect, He does not need to obtain anything, but still it is said that He obtained His opulences by worshipping the lotus feet of the Brahmanas. These are his exemplary actions. When Lord Sri Krishna was in Dwaraka, he offered his respects by bowing down at the lotus feet of Narada. When Sudama Vipra came to his house, Lord Krishna personally washed his feet and gave him a seat on his personal bed. Although he is the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Lord Sri Krishna offered his respects to Maharaj Yudhishthir and Kunti. The Lord's exemplary behavior is to teach us. We should learn from his personal behavior how to give protection to the cow, how to cultivate brahminical qualities, and how to respect the brahmanas and the vaishnavas. The Lord says in Bhagavad Gita, Yad yad achrati shreshtas tattad evetaro janaha. Janaha, sorry. If the leading personalities behave in a certain manner, 
others follow them automatically. Who can be more of a leading personality than the Supreme Personality of Godhead? And whose behavior could be more exemplary? It is not that he needed to do all these things to acquire material gain, but all of these acts were performed just to teach us how to behave in this material world. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is described herein as Mahattama Agranihi. Within this material world, the Mahattamas, or great personalities, are Lord Brahma and Lord Shiva, but he is above them all. The Supreme Personality of Godhead is in a transcendental position above everything created within this material world. His opulence, his riches, his beauty, his wisdom, his knowledge, his renunciation and his reputation are all Jagat Pavitram, universally purifying. The more we discuss his opulences, the more the universe becomes purer and purer. In the material world, the opulences possessed by a material person are never fixed. Today one may be a very rich man, but tomorrow he may become poor. Today one is very famous, but tomorrow he may be infamous. Materially obtained opulences are never fixed. But all six opulences perpetually exist in the Supreme Personality of Godhead, not only in the spiritual world, but also in this material world. Lord Krishna's reputation is fixed, and his book of wisdom, Bhagavad Gita, is still honored. Everything pertaining to the Supreme Personality of Godhead is eternally existing. Om Jnana Timirandhasya Jnana Shalakaya Chakshurin Militam Yena Tasmai Shri Gauravinamaha An astonishing statement by Prithu Maharaj is the subject of today's verse. Astonishing if we consider that Krishna as stated by Prithu Maharaj in this verse, is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. He is worshipable by the Brahmanas, but he, Prithu Maharaj said, has obtained his position, his opulence of his good reputation, uh, Prabhupada translates here, yasha as reputation. It means fame. That, that, that reputation is uh, a word which means good, fame and good name together. Someone may be famous for something completely stupid, just like cricket stars are famous for, at least in India, for playing cricket. So that's neither, that doesn't reflect on their character. They may be a good character cricket player or they may be a bad character cricket player. There's, there's yasha, ayasha, fame and infamy. So fame here is translated as reputation. Ayasha means infamy. Someone may be famous for being bad. Just like there was this Virapan in the jungles. Not so far from here, actually. And he was infamous. 
So Krishna has fame and good reputation. He's famous, not just famous for nothing, and not famous for being bad, but famous for being good. So his Lakshmi, his his opulence, his good name, all this purifies the entire universe. But he got all of this by himself being devoted to the devotees. So, it sounds back to front, doesn't it? That the devotees become glorified, they become great because of their relation with Krishna, relationship with Krishna. Actually, Krishna is the center of everything. So, the devotees, they become glorified by their connection with Krishna. But it's an eternal interaction and Krishna feels himself to be dependent on his devotees. Aham bhakta paradi hina. Krishna himself says, I'm dependent on my devotees. The ontological fact or the the philosophical, a proper philosophical understanding is stated in the beginning, the first line of Srimad Bhagavatam, that he is, Krishna is Swarat, he is independent. But then later on we find, when we get to the ninth canto of Bhagavatam, that Krishna himself says, Aham Bhakta Paradhina, I am dependent on my devotees, Nahiyasvatantra Ivadvija, and he tells the Dvija, Durvasa Muni, that I am not even slightly independent. So this is another of the opulences of the Supreme Lord, that all apparent contradictions simultaneously rested him. He is independent and he is fully dependent on his devotees. So it's an astonishing statement. And there are other such statements we find in the Nectar of Devotion that <coughs> Sandipani Muni told uh, Krishna that because of Krishna's great devotion to his guru, that whatever Krishna said would be, uh, what Krishna says will be just to the point. It will be most authoritative and it will always remain glorified in human society. And therefore, up to the present day, Bhagavad Gita is adored by intelligent persons in all of human society because of his guru's blessings. He, he, Krishna, he is the source of everything. That is the ontological fact. Krishna is the source of everything. But he himself feels dependent on his devotees. It is inconceivable. Therefore, the impersonalists, when they hear all this kind of thing, they just have a, uh, they have a system failure. This doesn't, things doesn't, doesn't work. And therefore, they conclude everything to be impersonal. They're wrong. (laughs) 
Krishna is totally independent and he's totally dependent on his devotees. And both facts are true, eternally. And that is one of the glories of Krishna. That although he is independent, totally independent, he doesn't require anyone for anything, but he accepts dependence on his devotees, out of his love for them. So this discussion is uh, is stated by Maharaj Prithu, very happily stating these facts. To the brahmanas who had come into his midst, is uh, Maharaj Prithu being a king, was much involved in uh, political activities, social activities, but his real interest was in Krishna. So he took great happiness in describing the qualities of Krishna. This, this is not to demean Krishna. It's not that he becomes, it's not that Krishna becomes less by being dependent on his devotees, he becomes more. He's already full and complete and there's nothing more for him to, uh, Attain. I mean, he's, that's, he's Atmarama Atakama. He is full in himself and all his desires are fulfilled. So, so that, that he accepts dependence on his devotees doesn't, doesn't, uh, decrease his position, but it increases it that he's so great. He's, he's uh, unquestionably uh, dominant, dominant uh, insurpassable. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? He's, he's indomitable. He, there, there's no question of him. It's un, unchallengeable. Of course, some fools do challenge, but there's no actual question of Krishna ever being anything but the Supreme Personality of Godhead and superior to everyone. So, in such a position, it might be thought that someone, they cannot, that that's, that's the ultimate limit. You can't get greater than that. But Krishna increases his glories by accepting submission to his devotees. He doesn't become less by that. Neither does he uh, lose his position as supreme by becoming dependent on his devotees. Nor does, by his becoming dependent on his, on his devotees, does he become less. Apparently he becomes less, but it's, a, it's, an, it's another exhibition of his great character that although dominating everything, naturally, not, not by force or by harshness, not as a despot, but it's just naturally, dominating everything. But nevertheless, out of his great love for his devotees, he submits himself to be uh, subordinate to them. And thus his glory increases. There's that uh, well-known verse when Krishna tells Uddhava, what is that verse? Nacha Sankarshana Nashri. What is, how does that verse begin? I'm not, dip, uh, 
that uh, I, I, I rate, he, he lists several of his devotees. Nacha, who does that begin? No, 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 oh. Look it up, look it up. That's it. You're supposed to do that. Nacha Sankarshana and then Sankarshan wild card. Look it up. Na, next word, cha, sankarshana, sankarshan with a wild card. How does it begin? No, 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 no. But, but you should make that a string search. Or still it's, yeah. Go to the next one. It's in the 11th canto. How is it? Ah. Natata me priyatama atma yonea na shankaraha nacha sankarshano na shrir naivatma chayata bhavan. Krishna tells Uddhava that uh, in, he's talking about who's dear to him. So he says that uh, nacha priyatama hmm? Natatame priyatama, that no one is more did, even in comparison with Brahma, who is born from my very body, even in comparison with Shiva, who is non-different in most ways, in many ways, from Vishnu, Hari Hari. Uh, even in comparison with Balaram, my brother, even in comparison with my wife, Lakshmi, Rukmini, Nacha Sankarshano Nashriya, even in comparison with myself, my devotee is more dear to me. He was going to say, Krishna was going to say that, but then just as the words were coming out of his mouth, he said that none are more dear to me than you, Uddhava. That's how Vishwanath Chakravati explains <laughs> so none, no, none are more dear to me than you you are more dear to me than Uddhava because you are my devotee you are more dear to me than all these other just men they are also devotees of course but the, the, the point is being stressed that the devotee is so dear to Krishna even more dear than himself Krishna has names Prana Krishna, Praneshwar, Prananath. He is the He is the life. Prana is a name for Krishna. He is life. But he himself gets life. He he or he, the life Prana Govinda means Govinda who is the life of everything. Or Praneshwar, he's the Lord of the life of everything. But another understanding is that Prana Govinda means the devotee who is the life of Krishna. So Krishna becomes uh, another of Krishna's glories is that he feels himself dependent on his devotees. And Prithu Maharaj is glorifying this. Uh, in this way, glorifying both Krishna and the devotees simultaneously. That is Srimad Bhagavatam. That the devotees and Krishna are glorified together. And this is the Perfection. Uh, Prithu Maharaj, in the midst of his 
worldly duties, his real interest was to glorify Krishna, and which means glorifying his devotees. If one only glorifies Krishna, but doesn't glorify the devotees, then Krishna is not so very much pleased. He's pleased, but not so very much pleased. But if Krishna is glorified together with his devotees, then Krishna becomes very pleased. So Prithu Maharaj is taking pleasure in glorifying in this way. Vyasadeva is also in compiling this, feeling pleasure, after comp- going through the mammoth task of dividing the Vedas, editing the Puranas. Of course, he gave that out to others to do, but he had to go through all of that, check all of that. And then at the end of all of that, he still felt, well, I did it, but not very happy. Then he was directed by Narada. He didn't glorify Krishna. Not clearly, probably. He glorified Krishna. What kind of glorification? Krishna is great. Ganesh is great. Bhakti is great. Performing yajyas is great. It's all mixed up. It's not clear. So that's like the other parts of the Shastra. The glorification of Krishna is there. And then Ganesh... And then Indra, and it's, it's all mixed up. It's not, he hasn't made it clear. That the actual object of glorification is Krishna. So the whole point of the Vedas is, uh, it's not clear for people who, who are not very intelligent. Uh, they can't find out the point of the Vedas, and they may conclude that the Vedas uh, ultimately don't glorify one particular person. And thus there is no one particular person to be glorified and thus it comes to atheism. So therefore therefore Narad Muni advised Vyasadeva to make it very clear what is the actual point of the Vedas. That is Srimad Bhagavatam. Clear glorification of Krishna and his devotees. Uh, no doubt it's difficult for most people to understand, or most people don't even have an interest in it. If we uh, speak some mumbo-jumbo, they're much more interested. If we present some pseudo-mystical nonsense, we'll find that many people are they're attracted to that. If we present the actual fact... Not many people are attracted. So, you may think, well, what's the point of compiling Srimad Bhagavatam? Well, that is the only point. Everything else is pointless. The, I, the whole idea that somehow we should at, attract people and make them feel happy, that's the whole disease of material life. The, the cure for that is to glorify Krishna. There's no other cure. There's no other meaning to spiritual life than to glorify Krishna, which is complete when there is purification of his devotees. So it may not be that there are many people who take to Krishna consciousness, but but promoting anything else is just a waste of time. 
If many people can take to Krishna consciousness, that is possible in this Kali Yoga by the mercy of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. That is possible. Srila Prabhupada has made that more possible by translating these books in English and setting up the International Society for Krishna Consciousness, the only function of which is to glorify Krishna and his devotees in the spirit of Srimad Bhagavatam. But then we may find that, oh, well, we're doing that and there's all these bogus gurus all around and they're being much more popular. It seems that they're seems that they're doing something right and we're doing something wrong because they have so many followers. So maybe we should do what they do. This glorifying Krishna doesn't seem to work. So better that we speak some mumbo-jumbo and don't speak about Krishna and offer people material uh, benefits and then our preaching will be successful. One can only think like that who's never studied Srimad Bhagavatam. And when they, if they've not understood the uselessness of anything else but glorifying Krishna and his devotees, then they will be attracted to uh, any, all other things. But all other things are meaningless at best and actually harmful. So, if there's one person to hear, or even if there's no one to hear, the Srimad, recitation of Srimad Bhagavatam should go on. Someone will hear. At least the person who's reciting will hear. Just as Srila Prabhupada said that his guru had told him that you preach and if no one comes to hear, then you, you just speak to the four worlds, that's all. But glorification of Krishna should go on. Someone may hear, someone may not hear. At least the person who is reciting will hear. And anything else but glorification of Krishna, this uh, talks of Atma, Brahma, and or bodily welfare or whatever it may be, without glorification of Krishna, it's simply... A waste of time. So we also, uh, in the midst of our daily activities, we hear Srimad Bhagavatam, the glorification of Krishna, the glorification of devotees, the glorification of the process of devotional service, and become happy. Devotees become happy by hearing this. Non-devotees, they find no charm in it. They think, oh, they just they can't relate to it. They think it's got nothing to do with nothing to do with me or nothing to do with anything because they asatyare satya karimani. They take that which is unreal to be real. You know what's all this talking about the four kumaras and this uh, Prithu Maharaj and Brahman? What's what? It's got nothing to do with the real world. I mean, our real activities are studying and working and passing stool and these are the real activities, these are the real things. But they don't know what is real and what is not real. They have to hear Srimad Bhagavatam, then they can understand what is real. Reality is Krishna. That is being explained throughout the Srimad Bhagavatam. Vedyam Vastavam Atravastu. The actual uh, 
object of knowledge is this. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya. Krishna, the Supreme Personality of Godhead, who is to be glorified. So this is our subject matter. Sriman Bhagavatam. I'll finish that unless there are any questions. Yes, you have a question. Srila Vyasadeva was despondent even after compiling all the Vedas. Yes, yes. He wrote the Mahabharata also, yeah. In that Lord Sri Krishna is glorified. I'm just repeating what you're saying so that it gets recorded here. Krishna is glorified, yes, in Mahabharata. But I mentioned that by saying that Krishna is glorified and some demigod is glorified, other processes are glorified. Krishna is glorified, but Krishna, from the literary point of view, if we're going to do literary criticism, Krishna is not the major character of Mahabharata. And even though at the end Vyasadeva says that Narayana is supreme, that Vede Ramayane Chaiva Purane Bharate Tata Adavante Jamadhe Hari Sarvatra Gyate. At the end of Mahabharata, the Vyasadeva states that in the Mahabharata, in the Ramayana, in all the Vedas, in all the Puranas, beginning, middle and end, Hari is glorified. But within this Mahabharata, we, we, everything is there. All the, you, you find in, that uh, karma, is glori- karma is glorified, Jnana is glorified, Vairagya is glorified and, and you know, you'll find in Bhishma's teachings to Yudhishthira he'll say one thing after he'll say that the topmost charity is giving grains. And then the, you know, the next uh, few verses later he goes on and glorifies that there's nothing equal to this and then a few verses later he'll say that the greatest charity is something else, giving knowledge. And then the greatest charity... So... Uh, and in Mahabharata we also find that uh, Shiva is glorified as supreme by Krishna. So it's not as clear as Srimad Bhagavatam. And it's mostly concerned with, with uh, Dharma, Artha, Kama and a little bit with Moksha. Mostly with Dharma. Mahabharata is very much a book of Dharma. Actually the message is Bhakti because the Mahabharata shows the uh, the weakness of dharma as applied in this world. Dharma, you know, no one can properly follow dharma in this world because the very nature of this world is such that uh, it, well, the whole situation is one of adharma, and the very nature of material nature is that there are. Conflicting situations arise in which that's very much the central theme of the Mahabharata. This Dharma Sankat, you get confused because if you follow Dharma, you follow one 
uh, edict of dharma, then you'll transgress another one. That was Arjuna's problem. If I fight, that will be following dharma, but I'll be breaking some other rules of dharma. And if I don't fight, that will be following some principles of dharma, breaking others. So the pure devotional service, that this is the actual dharma of the soul, that is the point of Mahabharata, and that's very clearly uh, said in Srimad Bhagavatam, that the intelligent people can take that point out of Mahabharata, but that's the whole point. Most people are not intelligent. So Srimad Bhagavatam uh, very clearly focuses from the very first line on Krishna as the Supreme Personality of God is, is which, as Mahabharata is not so specific, specific, actually. Yeah. But it glorifies also, I mean, the central personalities are Pandavas. The central personalities are the Pandavas who are great devotees of Krishna, yeah. That's true. But they may worship demigods. Even in fact, in, in find that uh, Krishna himself, after reciting the whole Bhagavad Gita to Arjuna, tells him, "Okay, now before the fight, you should worship Chandi." <laughs> Work that one out, and he does. And uh, he worshipped uh, Arjuna. Also worshipped Shiva at one point to get weapons from him. So it can be confusing. <laughs> that stated, I believe, in the nature of devotion, Bhaktivasamrita Sindhu, that Uddhava is considered a greater devotee than Arjuna, because Arjuna sometimes worshipped demigods as a social necessity uh, for various purposes, whereas Uddhava never worshipped anyone but Krishna. But then you see what Krishna, throughout his life, he was thickly associated with Arjuna, very intimately. They'd lie on the bed together and joke and then you know, one would wake up, hey, come on, let's get up, don't sleep so long like this. They're intimately, uh, intimately connected. Yeah, then someone else? Yeah. Um. The meaning of what, sorry? Bhagavad Gita. And Bhagavatam is to glorify the devotees and Krishna. Sometimes the preaching in the Western countries... Well, in the Bhagavad Gita, maybe not so much to, to, to glorify the devotees. That comes more out in Bhagavatam. Which Bhagavad Gita establishes the basic principle and then... The uh, the fulfillment of that principle is in Srimad Bhagavatam to glorify the devotees. Yeah, but in our preaching, in the Western countries and also schools, yeah. indirect preaching, character building. How far can we go with this? Well. Uh, Preaching means to communicate with people who are not Krishna conscious. So we have to somehow or other get their attention. So 
if we go in directly and tell people to surrender to Krishna, it's not likely to be so successful, we're not likely to be so successful in getting their interest and attention as if we go in and speak about character building. In India we speak about character building. In the West if you speak about character building, yeah, there, there will be some people interested. That's even in the West. They have this, uh, like this, uh, Stephen Covey speaks about, you know, it's within his teachings, it's like, uh, what is that? You should be, should be good. Is there. Uh, so to get people's attentions, we, we can say this, it's, character building is not, a, not the highest principle. It is a high principle. Uh, I mean, it's a, it's a high principle compared to the animalistic, exploitive tendency of the demons in, in the modern society. Incidentally, uh, even the demons among them, we find in the Srimad Bhagavatam, they had some principles. Com- even compared to people in the modern age, they, they followed the, they generally followed the rules of battle. It was expected in Ma- the Mahabharat fight that they would follow the rules of battle. And they did. It was the, it was the Pandavas mostly who uh, flaunted the rules of battle. The Pandava forces. And uh, their wives were generally quite chaste. So there was some honor among thieves, as the English saying goes. Uh, so what are we talking about? Character building. So, yeah, that can be introduced, but uh, having got their attention, we should not remain on that platform, but very quickly bring them to the point. Otherwise, what is the point of such preaching? Just like uh, one devotee, I was told, he he spoke about uh, good... He, he went into a class of students and asked, what do you think are the symptoms of good character? And the students offered different points and he wrote them all down on the board. As, and what do you think is bad character? And then he wrote them all down on the board. And he said, well, this is stated in Bhagavad Gita. And then he lists the verses of Bhagavad Gita. And in this way, drew their attention to Bhagavad Gita. And then spoke on the basis of Bhagavad Gita. So from character building... He went straight, just with a little diversion, he went into Bhagavad Gita. Because they're not aware, they've heard of Bhagavad Gita, but they're not aware of what's inside it. So, so when they heard that, that caught their attention. So in this way, for preaching, we can do anything or say anything, practically. I mean, when we distribute books, in the West especially, we say all kinds of things, which may not be untrue, but but not the point exactly that the book is making, but um, the point is to get them to take the book. So, yeah, preaching, for preaching we can do anything, but there is, we have to bring them to the point of Krishna, ultimately. It may take some time. I mean, even Krishna himself in the Bhagavad Gita doesn't bring Arjuna immediately to the point of Krishna. First of all, he talks about we're not the body and karma and Tiaga and all these points, and it, it's not. I mean, in the toward the end of the second chapter, he and he speaks about himself. He used the word "mom," 
But otherwise, in, in relation to, yeah, um, what is that? Brahman, uh, mm, I can't remember. paraha, yeah, considering myself supreme. Yeah, but otherwise it's kind of indirect, isn't it? And then in the third chapter, there's all talk about following the cycle of work and the demigods and all this. So it, 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 it's not... In the beginning, that Krishna really gets makes it very explicit that the goal of life is himself. But he does make it clear. So for preaching, can be round. It doesn't have to be roundabout. But it can be also. Considering that most people are a long way from understanding Krishna. But, yeah, it should come to the point. Otherwise, if we simply remain... Here we are in the third year of our course to the students and we're still talking about be good, smile, don't tell lies and then what are we preaching? It's not, not really very helpful. Even that's somewhat helpful. That's better than teaching them to be nasty and beat people up, cheat people. So if we don't uh, when we walk on the street, grab people and yell at them, surrender to Krishna, that doesn't mean that we're not preaching. Anything else? Why Krishna? What? Sorry? Why does Krishna appreciate his devotees so much? Well, Krishna is the best judge of everything. So if Krishna, why does he appreciate them so much? Then they must have such good qualities that even he appreciates them. He himself, who is the full of all qualities, appreciates my devotees. They have such good qualities. So they must be he must appreciate them because they actually have great qualities. Hare Krishna, Srimad Bhagavatam Ki Jai, Srila Prabhupada,